you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Psalm 19. The Psalms are in the middle of the Bible. Almost open up to the middle. If you, you're in kind of Proverbs, go to the left. If you're in Job, go to the right. We'll be looking at Psalm 19. Since I've been gone, there's been a few uh, messages on the Psalms. I believe Psalm 116 and Psalm uh, 42. But the reason we are in the Psalms, it's, it's basically, it's been the church's hymn book for almost 2,000 years. It's been the church's prayer book for 2,000 years. If you're mourning over someone, you go to the Psalms. If you're worn out and tired, you, you go to the Psalms and be refreshed. If you're happy and joyful, you want to give thanksgiving, you can go to the Psalms and there's language there for you to give thanks to God. If you just feel you're like, I want to pray, I don't know what to pray, you can go to the Psalms. And you can pray the, the Scripture there. And I pray for all of us that we would get more of the Psalms in our heart. I don't know if you've ever listened to a song and it's just got stuck in your head, whether it's a refrain or a beat or a certain phrase and you just can't shake it. You know, advertising works like that, right? Like you just make it so you just can't get out, get out of your head. That's my, my prayer for us as we go through certain psalms in the summer, that there'd be just verses or lines that would just be a refrain in the back of our mind or in the forefront of our mind, in our hearts. That we would take parts of the psalms and they would become more in our hearts to guide us in our prayers, in our worship, in our lives. So that is my, my desire in us going to the Psalms. And of course, it's good in the summer as people are coming and going to be able to just open up a Psalm. You don't have to really tell really what came before, what comes after. It's just kind of a self-contained message. So that's my desire for us in turning to the Psalms. So as we look at Psalm 19 this morning, in our church we have a tradition. If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll read Psalm 19 together before we look at it. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. 
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. Just a little background of Psalm 19 as we get going. The psalm was written by King David. Many, if you haven't really been in the church, but maybe you've heard of his name. He's the guy who killed Goliath. He's a famous, one of, I guess, the most famous king in Israel's history. He's kind of a picture of a godly man looking back, King David. And David, not only he was like a warrior king and saw the kingdom expand, but he also worshipped the Lord with unabandonment. And he wrote many of the Psalms that we have. And so David, we don't know at what point he wrote Psalm 19, whether uh, he was in his kingdom or away on battle, looking out at the sky, reflecting. Uh, but David wrote this Psalm. And just kind of give you a kind of a picture of where we're going. The format, it kind of, it starts when we see God's glory in the sky, what we call general revelation. Just generally speaking, this is who God is. It's the first six verses. Then looking at verses 7 to 9, we see God's glory in His Word. We see God more intimately portrayed uh, and, and how He speaks to us, how He meets us in Scripture. And then verses 11 to 14, what's the result of seeing God's glory in the page? It's, it's that He would change us, that the Word would change us. So that's kind of where we're going here this morning. If you want to look at me, verse 1 to 6, we want to see God's glory in the sky. In creation. So this passage begins with the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The term there for God is kind of just a general, uh, just really broad El, Elohim. Uh, it's just like the heavens, it's just talking about the sky, just kind of saying the same thing twice. When you look out on the sky, it's declaring, it's proclaiming the glory of God. Mark Furtado says this, God's glory here is the visible manifestation in the creation of His otherwise invisible character. God's glory is who He is, His holiness, His, His sovereign reign over all creation, His, His purity, His justice. He's full of truth and goodness. Who God is, is displayed in His creation. James Montgomery Boyce says this, the, mention, the meaning of glory in Psalm 19 is a revelation of God's existence and power so great that it should lead every human being on the face of the earth to seek God out, to thank Him for bringing her, him or her into existence and to worship Him. Other translations say of the first verse, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. And of course, both of these terms declare and proclaim our participles meaning it's like ongoing. It's not a one-time deal. You see in the sky once, not declared, declaring, constantly proclaiming from the morning of the sun coming up, from it going down to the stars coming out to the sun comes up the next day over and over again. You look in the sky, it's proclaiming, it's displaying the glory of God. And why is it proclaiming the glory of God? Because He made it. Because He's the Creator. You look at certain artists and they have their signature on their artworks. Well, God's signature as we look at the beauty surrounding in the sky reflecting His glory, it's just His signature. He's the one who made it. 
Of course, because we, we learned as we studied over the past number of months, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1, verses 14 to 18, day 4 of creation. It says this, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God is the one who made the sun, the moon, and the stars. He made the sky. He made everything that we see. And so looking at verse 2, it says of, of the glory portrayed in the sky, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth. Their words to the end of the earth. Everywhere you look, everyone will recognize, everyone can either feel the heat of the sun or see it as it just makes its course from the east to the west. Or in, in the night, seeing the, the moon come out and the stars in the sky. Everyone sees it. That's why the Apostle Paul picks up this, that God's creation reveals enough about him that people are held account. You cannot say there is no God. You have the sky. You have the sun. The Apostle Paul writing in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, 19 to 20, says this, But what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. There's enough glory of who God is proclaimed in the sky that everyone looking up says, There is a creator. There's something great. As we looked at verse 2, it says day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. Well, the interesting thing, it's actually, it's wordless speech. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. What is a sunset worth? Steve Lawson says this, it is a soundless sermon continually communicating throughout the skies. So then uh, David uses poetic language to describe the sun Say in them, in verse 4, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. This picture of, of, of the, the bridegroom coming out happy to be married, running his course to his bride, or an athlete running direct on its course. The picture of when the sun comes up and where it goes, each night comes again. This poetic language speaking of what we see when we look out at the sun. And I love that. Nothing is hidden from its heat. No one will be without excuse because you just look up this vast sky. That's we're so privileged actually to, to be in Alberta in terms of the vast sky that we get to see. That we get to take in. Amazing. I don't know, have you taken time to see it these days where it says the heavens declare the glory of God. Have you seen it in the sky? Have you seen His glory? past number of times that we've come back from the mountains back to central alberta for whatever reason over central alberta there's always these storms 
and it's like blue sky, blue sky. We get to like old, you start to see like these dark clouds forming, these huge clouds rising, but it's like majestic. Like, wow, what kind of picture is this that's painted? It's displaying the glory of God in the sky. I don't know if you've taken time these days to watch a sunset. Sunrise is a little harder because <laughs> it happens so early in the morning. But taking in a sunset, even while we were on holidays uh, in Chilliwack, and as the sun was going down over the mountains, and then orange started coming out, and pink started coming out, and purple started coming out, and it was just like so amazing. I just stopped in my tracks and just taking it in. And not that I'm like, oh, wow, look at the clouds. I'm like, well, look what God has done. To display His glory is meant to grab our attention and to give thanks to Him. Or I don't know about you, but because we have younger kids, I don't, I haven't seen, I don't see the stars in the summertime. <laughs> it's, the sun goes down too late, but maybe if you have, if you go out on a clear night or get out of Red Deer and see the stars in the sky. Or sometimes are we going to see the northern lights dancing in the sky? You're like, wow, it's, it's, there's majesty there. It's pointing to the glory of God. Do you see it? Have you seen it? I, I hope of just the beginning of this Psalm 19 that you would get that stuck in your mind, stuck in your hearts. So the heaven declares the glory of God. If you would have that refrain kind of bounce around in your head and then as you're looking out during the day or at night, you would praise God for it. Do you see it? Do you see God's glory? in creation are you taking the time to see his truth his beauty and his goodness displayed there i would just encourage you to take time to see it to savor it and then to give thanks to him for it take time to to look out a window to to be outside to take the sun in unfortunately though in in times past, people haven't always looked at the sun and praised God. Or looked at the moon and praised God. Sometimes they've praised the sun and praised the moon. Even when we looked at the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11, early on in the history of mankind, they were worshipping the moon god. That was part of the Tower of Babel, worship around that area. In these ancient civilizations, we see throughout the Bible parts where people go and worship the sun. Even in Ezekiel chapter 8, uh, God takes the prophet Ezekiel in his vision to Jerusalem and shows him all the atrocities that are happening there. And, and one of the things Ezekiel sees, he sees 25 men and they turn their back on the temple meant to be the place of, place of worship. They turn their back on their temple and they face the sun and worship the sun. And God said, because of this, my glory is going to leave Jerusalem. So people haven't always looked at the sun or looked at the moon and said, oh, glory to God. They're like, wow, there's something majestic here. They start worshiping it. Even you think in our own day and age, as people look to the stars to guide them, look to their horoscopes. Instead of like, no, those stars are just meant to display God's glory. So friends, just part of the application for this is start to just look outside, look at the sky, and praise Him for what we see there. Like, let it, let it grab your attention. If there is a sunrise, they stop what you're doing for a moment, take it in. It's only there for like a few minutes and it's gone. That's the amazing thing. You see it, you're like, wow. 
and then it's gone. And maybe the next night or the night after that, another one is painted. Because that is what God does. So friends, I just hope that you would take the time to take in the glory of God displayed in the sky. So that, that's just general revelation. And what, what I mean by that, if you're just looking up at the sky in a, during the day or in the evening, you're like, there's a God. Like you can get that just by looking at the beauty of creation. But who is that God? You won't get that answer. You know, the, how long will you sit there like looking, gazing at the sky or the stars in the night and, and hear a word from God? You won't. So you have that general revelation, but more than that, we need a special revelation from God. That's why we have His Word, a special revelation. And I believe the next section of Psalm 19 talks about that. It goes from this general, this big picture, look at God in the sky broadly, to specifically, verses 7 to 10. I, I think we see God's glory here in the Bible. So just a question, like why read, why read the Bible? Why would we spend all this time, I keep referencing and going back and forth, different parts of the scripture. Think about just other books that we have. If you get a, a big book, you look on the back, like what will it claim about itself? Maybe it's like, this is a riveting read. This is captivating. This is so exciting. What, what, whatever is said about other books, it doesn't say what the Bible says about itself. I just want to read you from 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. This is what the Bible claims about Himself. It says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for approval, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And what, a, what a statement. This is a supernatural book. That God, by His Spirit, used men to write Scripture. And we have the Word of God. God reveals Himself to us through His Word, by His Spirit. You notice in verses uh, 7 to 9, the Lord, I don't know if in your Bible it's capitalized, Lord, which is, actually refers to God's personal covenant name, Yahweh. Six times it appears there from going from God kind of like broadly Elohim to now as we look at scripture, it is Yahweh six times. And six times it talks about different descriptions of what the word is called. And then six descriptions of what that word will do in our lives. That will, that's what we see here in the next three verses. As I talk about what each word means, I'm taking from a commentator, Derek Kinder. So we see here the first part says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And that term law in Hebrew Torah is a comprehensive term for God's revealed will. There's all these different descriptions talking about God's word, saying it a little differently. I think speaking to very much the same thing. So we have the law of the Lord. It's perfect, it's whole, it's complete, it's sufficient, it's lacking nothing. And what does it do? It revives our soul, or other translations, renews our soul, restores our soul. Question, do you need your soul restored? Of course, first off, 
Just as we looked there in 2 Timothy, he talked about all Scripture is God-breathed. It says just before that, is Paul, Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, he says this to Timothy, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, you've been acquainted with Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If we want our souls restored, first off, so we don't need that general revelation, you're looking up into the sky, oh, glory to God. But you're not hearing, you're not knowing that God is holy and I'm a sinner. We see this revealed in Scripture, Romans 3. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We must meet the perfection. We must be do everything perfect and be holy and righteous, which we're not. But then we read more in Scripture, God's special revelation that Jesus Christ came down and lived a perfect life. It was sinless. He was righteous. And the perfect Holy One died on a cross for our sins and our shame was buried in the grave and rose again. And anyone who would put their faith and trust in Him, they would repent, they would turn from their own ways and start following God and saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He died for me, could be forgiven. First off, that is the way your soul is restored. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, we don't get that looking at the sky. We get that from the glory of God revealed in Scripture. First, trusting in Him, but even as, as we go on, even as you're a believer, maybe at other times we try to turn to other areas to restore our soul, to revive our soul. Think what ways do we try to restore our own soul, like try to fill up what's lacking spiritually. Sometimes it can just be looking to experiences. You know, if I, man, if I can just do this, we can go on this trip, if I can... Do this one thing, like, man, it's going to be so fulfilling. It'll be so wonderful. Or it can be stuff. If I can get that new thing. Whatever it is, man, once I get that new thing, man, it'll be fulfilling. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be happy. There's a, we have a spiritual void that we can start to look for other things to fulfill. Experiences, new stuff. Often screens. Whatever it is we're watching and we're looking at, we, we turn to our screens. Wondering, like, man, maybe this will be fulfilling. Maybe this time. But then the second whatever you're watching is done, you're like, what's the next thing? Because it's not fulfilling. It doesn't restore your soul. None of those things do. New experiences, new things are turned to our screen. But it does say that the Word of God will restore your soul. I want you to see the claims that are made about Scripture here. The, the next aspect talking about the Word, it says the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise is simple. This term testimony is an aspect of truth attested by God Himself. The testimony of the Lord is sure, it's trustworthy. Making wise is simple. I lo love this claim about Scripture. Making wise is simple. Does anyone need more wisdom? You receive it from the Word of God. We'll talk more about that in a later section, but just think like, do you need wisdom? This claim here in Scripture is saying the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts and commandments following indicate the precision and authority with which God addresses us. Like God speaks, it's over. We must listen. And what, what happens? The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They're right, they're true. 
How many of us are looking for what is right and true in these days? Look at the results found in Scripture. It rejoices the heart. Like, isn't that a good thing? Don't you want joy overflowing your heart? Scripture claims it'll do that in us. It says the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, like giving light to the eyes. Psalm 119, 105, it says, the word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. That's what scripture is meant to do. You're like, you're in a dark place. You don't know where to go. You're maybe you're out camping. You turn on a flashlight. You're like, oh, don't, don't go here. I'll be like in a bush. Here's the path. This is what scripture is meant to do. Enlighten our eyes. Show us which way to step, which way to go. And then it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Almost seems strange in the way it's describing God's word. And all of a sudden talk about the fear of the Lord. But the, the fear of the Lord uh, through the wisdom books is an aspect of wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. We're going to spend just a second unpacking that. Thinking about the fear of the Lord. It's clean. It's pure. So I want us to just think more about this for a second. So just looking at Proverbs 1 verse 7. The whole book of Proverbs is about wisdom. Proverbs 1, says, 1 verse 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the fools despise wisdom and instruction. It also says in Proverbs 2, 1 to 5, there's this picture of this son or this father taking this son and leading him and telling him how to get wisdom. My son, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments with you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Friends, that's where wisdom begins, is with the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. Acknowledging like He is in charge, I am not. This great reverence for Him, like the Lord's Prayer, if you know it, that's how it begins, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. That hallowed be Your name, like I'm reverencing You. You are the Almighty One. You just you made the sky, the sun, and the moon, the stars in it. You spoke into existence. And I'm like, I'm before You. I have a holy fear of You. And that's the beginning of wisdom. So I just want to think a little... A little more about that as well. How do, you, how do you get that? How do you get the fear of the Lord? In Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, verse 17, or chapter 17, 18 to 19. The book of Deuteronomy is like God took His, His people out of Egypt, led by Moses, and they're about to go into the promised land. Before they do, God, uh, God through Moses recounts everything that's happened to them and kind of gives them these charges. Before they go in. And Moses says this about the time. Hey, you're going to get a king in the future. And the king should be about this. In verse 18. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. He shall write for himself in a book. A copy of this law. A copy of the word of God that they had at the time. Approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with them. And he shall read it in all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. By keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. It's like the king who's going to lead you. He needs to write 
a word of the law. And then he needs to read it day and night. So he has a fear of the Lord. That's how we develop a fear of God. It's through the word of God. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses also says, Hey, when you go into the land, every seven years, when you gather together in the place I'm going to tell you, read the law. Read the law to everyone. Bring the women, the children, the people who are just visiting in the land that they would learn to fear my name. So friends, we can learn to fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, through reading Scripture. I encourage you, read God's Word with your children, with your spouse, with your friends. And I, I don't mean like you get together, like stop. You just pull up the Bible and you start reading. But you can like just share a verse or two with one another. You can just share Scripture. We share everything else. We can talk about the weather till the cows come home, so to speak. But can we like, just, I just want to share a verse with you. The heavens declare the glory of God. Have you thought about that? When, when you meet someone in the next few days, share that with someone. God's word gives us a holy fear of him, which leads us to wisdom. Do you have this fear of God? Does it change how you act, what you will do and what you won't do? It says in Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. What a healthy, what a good thing it is to fear the Lord. And the word of God does that for us. The next, the last aspect seen here in Psalm 19, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. These are judicial decisions, the rules that he has recorded about. They're true, they're reliable, they're stable. And they're righteous altogether. God's ways are righteous. So I hope you see here as, as David, he's reflecting about the sky, then he turns to the Word. When he talks about the Word, he talks about God and how God, God's glory is reflected there. Think about a summary of what David said here of God's Word. It revives our souls. It gives us wisdom. Brings joy to the heart, opens our eyes, gives us a holy fear of Him and guides us in His righteous way. Like, how is that possible? Like, think about the claims that are just made in those few verses. How is that possible? Because this is a holy book. God wrote it. He speaks to us through it. We meet with God as we open it by His Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Friends, every time we open up our Bibles, let's do it with faith. We're like, actually, like, God, He wrote this book. He has something He wants to share with me in it. Look at this in verse 10. The claim that's made, it's more to be desired are they than gold, like the precepts, the law, the commandments. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. The Bible claims it's more valuable than much gold. Do we agree with that? Do we like, yeah, amen. Just a question, what will we trade our time for? Will we trade it for more gold? Or, or some time in the Word, time in the Bible, right? Because we all have a certain amount of time that's very limited, and we spend our time doing certain things, and we all have to make a living. But will we keep trading it for more and more gold? Or the Bible says it's more valuable in gold than much fine gold. I've been uh, listening to an audio book for the past while on Alexander the Great. I, lo I love certain aspects of history, and so Alexander the Great kind of uh, 
late 4th century. And, and he made his way from, from Greece, from Macedonia, and he's going to attack Persia. He's fighting Persia. At that time, Persia was like the top dog. And, uh, and they were like the top country. They ruled the world. And he attacked the king of Persia, Darius III, and he beat him. Over and over again. That's why it's called Alexander the Great, right? And as he beat him, he started getting the treasures that were in the Persian Empire. And they went to this one place, and there was 7,000 tons of gold. And I forget how many, like, donkeys and camels, and, like, they had so many animals just to try to move this gold around. So much gold. Think about Alexander the Great. He lived only to his early 30s, and he died. He had 7,000 tons of gold, yet he had to stand before the living God and give an account. How much more valuable is God's word than gold and much fine gold? You'd have a special revelation of how to be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Because our lives are like this, so we'll have to stand before Him one day. It's so much more valuable, friends. And it says also, it's sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And maybe if you don't like sweet stuff, you're like, it doesn't make sense to me. But in a day and age where there wasn't really a lot of access to sweet things, like it would have been something like, oh, it's so good. Maybe you have every once in a while. Steve Lawson says this, talking about it. It means it's, it's fully satisfying. Speaking of God's word, our spiritual hunger, and it's of great pleasure and enrichment. So think about just these claims that we see here, verses 7 to 10. If they're true, what should that lead us to do? It should lead us to be people who are often opening these pages and reading and meditating and thinking upon, seeking to meet with God in His Word by His Spirit. Just, just, I would just encourage you, I would just exhort you, continue to take time to read to listen to God's Word. Just question, like, where and when are you going to do it? Like, if those claims are true, like, why wouldn't you read more Scripture? If it revives your heart, if it gives light to your eyes, it gives wisdom to the simple. Why, why wouldn't we? So just where and when are you doing that? And then as you open up, like, where are you reading? I encourage before I went on holidays, if you have never finish reading through Genesis, like read Genesis, or, or read in the Psalms, or read a Gospel, Luke or John. Maybe if you have a reading plan, continue to do that, but just like, wow, what the claims that are made in Scripture, if we would only read it and meditate upon it, and we'd say, yes, it's actually way more valuable than gold, than much fine gold. Amen. Amen. So are you convinced by what David says about the Word? Now, maybe just add this as well. Often, so what, what is said, we're like, we open it up and maybe we, we read for 10 minutes and we're like, man, I don't know, I didn't, didn't light my eyes. I don't feel like my soul was restored. Like there's sometimes you open up and you're like, wow, I can't believe that's written in the Bible. And other times you're just like, I don't know, I just, I read it, I closed it, I carried on. And I think that the claims he's making about it happens over time. We need to, we need to get away from the kind of the drive-through Amazon Prime mentality when it comes to spirituality. Like we live in such a day and age, like man, I don't have this in my house. My, my, something broke on my stove, or I can order a new stove. You know, something breaks, you're like, boom, it's like there 
as you press send, Amazon Prime, they're at your door. We take this mentality to our spirituality. And friends, what, what it is, I think, is we want Scripture to so impact our heart, to so change us. It takes time, it takes days, it takes weeks, it takes seasons, years, decades. Faithfully opening up God's Word, seeing the glory of God revealed there. Continue to feed upon it. That's the kind of habits that we want to make over and over, time and time again, going there. And yes, you'll have wisdom. You'll have a fear of Him. Your eyes will be enlightened. Your soul will be revived. So we see there, David, he went from this broad picture, seeing God's glory in the sky, to specifically, I think, seeing God's glory in the Scripture. And then now the next section is seeing when you, when you read Scripture, you see God's glory displayed. You see the result in your own lives that it would change you by His Spirit. Look at verse 11 with me. David continues, he says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. He calls himself a servant, allowing the glory of God to shine, and he's submitting to his ways. He's not just a sun watcher, a sky gazer, but someone who has gone deeper, who has surrendered his life. Now I'm a servant of God. I want you to know, he's not just like, I just... God is somewhere up there. I don't really know. No, I'm, a, I'm his servant. I'm following him. And what does it say? That in keeping him, and keeping the commands, there's a great reward. There's a blessing. Like this is God's way, walking in it. Obedience leads to peace and joy and contentment in him. Of course, primarily like through following Jesus Christ. And the blessing comes through repentance, through turn away from our own ways and turning to Him in faith, repentance and faith in Jesus. It leads to eternal life and to rest and to peace. There's a blessing, but by keeping them is your servant warned. In verses 12 to 13, He expands upon that. Look at verse 12 with me. God's Word shows us our need for change. Who can discern His errors, David asked. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. God's glory shining in His Word reveals sin in our lives. Things we're not even aware that they're there. Hebrews 4.12, it says this about the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what God's Word can do. As it's reflected back upon us, can discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Scripture is like a mirror and a light. It's like a mirror that it just shows us what's inside of us. Things we weren't even aware that are there. And it's a light as well. allows us to see more clearly in our own lives. As the Word exposes and reveals sin, rebelling against God, we take it to God, asking for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We, we Just like David, we ask, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Like, reveal that to me. Reveal my blind spots through your word. Verse 13, he continues, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, from willful sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression or blatant rebellion. Just crying out like, don't let, don't let me be ruled by sin. 
Because we all have these, these desires in our heart. We have this bent for doing what's, what we want to do away from what God wants us to do. But so David's crying out, not only expose sin in our lives, but like keep us from running after it. Because you think if, if you're reading and you're starting to get wisdom in your life, you're getting the fear of God in your life, and your ways are getting enlightened, you have wisdom for friendships. And maybe there's, there's some people you hang around, they're fun, but you know it leads you into trouble, it leads you into sin, and so you see it ahead of time. Like, God, show that to me. Like, I, maybe I shouldn't be around those people. Or, or maybe in the future you have, there's a business opportunity and you could make a lot of gold, even much fine gold, if you will. And, but you see, like, man, there's some shady things that, that, that come to be with making this opportunity go forward. And you're like, God, show that to me. Let, let me not be d- dominated by greed. Show me ahead of time that I would turn away. I think you could really use Psalm 13 as a, as a good prayer. Whatever it is in your life, whatever kind of your, your sins that you kind of automatically go towards that you know is not good, you're like, Lord, let them not rule over me. Lord, change me. Whether it could be in our, in our day and age, you know, coveting over what other people have, like, oh, if I just had this, if I could just go to this place, you're like, hey, Lord, I know I'm, I'm prone to jealousy. I'm prone to desiring other things. I'm not content. Lord, help me there. Let that not rule over me. For some, it could be the, the lust of the eyes, our eyes wandering to things that are impure. And you're like, God, I know it's there. Lord, let, let it be put to death. Let it not rule over me. Lord, change me. I want to be your servant. I want to walk in ways that are pleasing to you. So we use verse 13 as a prayer. But I believe as you, as you see God generally in the sky, specifically in His Word, and then the results like asking God to change us, we see the conclusion in verse 14. Let God's Word change you. David writes, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here we see a response to God's glory, a life surrendered to God. Again, notice that that progression from just God, just generally, I see His glory in the sky, to specifically, I see who He is on the page, and then in response to that, hey, I'm your servant, Lord, change me, reveal sin in my life. And then, like, have everything, let the meditations of my mouth and my heart be pleasing in your sight. What, what does Jesus say? That from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so uh, when words slip out, we're like, I don't know where that came from. It came from our hearts. We want our words to change. We need our hearts to change. And only Christ can do that. So there's this prayer that like, Lord, let your word change and transform me. But again, what, look at the three ways in which he, he kind of ends the psalm. Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. O Lord. He begins with God, kind of L. This non-specific name of God finishes with O Lord, Yahweh. The specific covenant name of God. Say, you are my God. How can you say you're a follower of Yahweh again? Only by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. For those of you who said, yes, I'm following, you can say, yes, oh, Yahweh. 
I follow you. God's covenant, His personal name. Lord, all capitals in our scripture. But what does He also say? You can also say, you are my rock. Whatever else may fail and change, God will not. He's a solid foundation in the midst of an ever-changing world full of confusion. That's the, even, I don't know what time we start, what time we start here in the morning. Usually it's like 9.35, <laughs> right about there. We don't know. Everything's always changing. Things fail. God will not fail. He is the rock that cannot be moved. We can stand upon Him. The Lord, He's the rock. He's my Redeemer. Redeemer means there's something to be redeemed from. This picture of someone, say, who is sold into slavery. And there's a price on their head that must be paid in order for them to come back out again. That's what that picture is, Redeemer. Well, what have we been redeemed from? We've been redeemed from a life of sin and rebellion against God. And the price was Jesus Christ's blood shed on the cross. And we've been redeemed. Been made new, forgiven, given new hearts. So we can say, God is our Redeemer. Friends, which one of those names do you need to take with you in the days to come? Lord, Yahweh, Rock, He's my Rock, He's my Redeemer. So, question: Where where do you see God's glory? Do you see it in the sky and His creation? Like, give Him praise, give Him thanks. I hope you do see it more. But don't stop there. Do you see His glory revealed to you on the pages of Scripture? Will you open it? Will you meet Him there? And is that glory changing you? As your life is exposed to God's glory in His Word, so you can say, yes, I am His servant. He is my Lord. He is my rock. He is my Redeemer. I pray that would be the case. If you want to bow with me as I close, close this word in prayer. Oh, holy God. I pray, oh Lord, you would seal this word into our hearts. Again, I, I pray that that which is from you would stay. That which is not, we would just forget about, oh Lord. But I pray our eyes would be quicker to see your glory in the sky. I pray you'd increase our desire to open up your word and meet you there. And I pray by your spirit you would shape us. You would shape Christ in us. Oh Lord, we'd be quick to confess that you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Oh Lord, I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.